Then the time come for you to be your own man and take on the world, and you did. But somewhere along the line, you changed. You stopped being you. You let people stick a finger in your face and tell you you're no good. And when things got hard, you started looking for something to blame, like a big shadow. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is gonna hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you gotta be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you wanna be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that. Hi, everybody. This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. I opened up with that clip from Rocky Balboa, one of my favorite clips of all movies of all times, because it says, hey, you know what? This is how life works. Deal with it. You know what? You don't get anywhere pointing your fingers at somebody else and blaming them, blaming the government, blaming this. My color is wrong. I got a chip on my shoulder because of this, or I didn't get enough uh, uh, attention when I was a kid or whatever. This is how the world works. And I think we're uh, seeing a lot of uh, a lot of that in the in the media and what's happening today. We're seeing a lot of hey, wake up, wake up. We're going to talk a lot about that today, a lot about that today. But before I go on, let me uh, introduce myself. My name is Ed Hoffman, President of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your direct mortgage lender, located in Southern California. Offices all over the place. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate and you need financing, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, toll free, area code 855-640-2020. If you want to get in touch with me, but you don't want to talk on the phone because you're stealing time from your boss and you don't want your coworkers to know your stuff. Go on to WCCLoans.com, WCCLoans.com, where we have all kinds of mortgage information. And uh, if you want to if you want to get some information, hit the Loan Center and then hit Apply Now. Give me as much information as you want and tell me how much information you want back. Tell me how you'd like me to uh, communicate with you. Uh, email, text, cell phone, after hours, before hours, during hours. Uh, smoke signals. Uh, if you want to email me first, my email is edhoffman at wccloans.com or just go to the contact page and uh, you'll hear from, you'll hear back from either uh, myself or one of my, one of my capable, capable and talented teammates. Any part of the show you want repeated, edhoffman.net. I'm giving a whole bunch of emails, uh, emails in, uh, in, uh, uh, websites here edhoffman.net click on the podcast page listen on demand anytime uh or you can also get the main event on uh, soundcloud or itunes where you can uh listen anytime or you can even subscribe for free so it automatically uh download to your uh, your uh, your phone or your ipad your computer whatever you listen to, to podcasts on uh be, be sure to connect with the show on social media follow me on twitter at ed hoffman where i tweet about current events all week long some weeks more than others and uh, like the show on facebook facebook.com slash the main event ed hoffman Got to figure a way to shorten that one down too. So uh, before before we start talking about what's going on, I have on my show today my special guest, my special friend, Mr. Johnny Joey Jones, uh, Staff Sergeant, Marine, uh, retired. Uh, Joey, 
I'm glad you could take time away from all your appearances on Fox News to to join your buddy on uh, on the radio. <laughs> well, full disclosure, Fox News canceled on me today, so it opened the door wide open for you. <laughs> I know that's good. So we could have had you on for for five minutes. Now we're going to use about we'll use a half hour or an hour to see how long how long you want to stay on with me. So let let's talk about what's going on because there's some things specifically now. For those of you that don't know, Joey Joey served uh, what nine years in the Marines. Eight years. Eight, eight, years in the Marines. eight years in the Marines. He was a, a explosives ordnance disposal tech, uh, and he was part of the the surge in Iraq and part of the surge in Afghanistan. Uh, dis, uh, he uh, disarmed eighty uh, explosives uh, successfully in the eighty first. He he uh, did. How do you say it? You you uh, disarmed it manually huh. with your legs. Yeah. Well. Um... In, in Afghanistan specifically, it was around the 80th, well, maybe a little more, IED that deployment. And uh, in that one, I, I still disarmed. I just did it with my feet instead of my hands. Yeah, and that's uh, – so So Joey's got a little taller. I don't know how tall you were when you had when you had had uh, human legs all the way down, but now he's got a now he he's half he's half he's half rob, robot and half uh, human, but it's the human part that we love because he's got a great heart and he's got a uh, and he's got a smart a very intelligent brain and uh, quite frankly uh, this guy is a champion a champion and a hero and uh, for those of you that came out for our fundraiser for WCC Charities, uh, Joey flew out from Georgia to assist us in that we weren't raising money for his organization or for any benefit of his he just said hey i believe in you and you need you need me to help you help you be there and support you i'm there and uh, him and his wife got on a plane and flew out flew out and spent a few days with us and uh that just shows a lot of who who you are joey so yeah well you've been there for me so that's that's what friendships are and that's what life's all about for sure that's uh that's true and I'll, i'm gonna let you uh, i'm gonna let you treat me really well when we fly out and visit you in georgia next month so uh so uh, let's talk about these things that I wanted your specific opinion on. So let's talk about North, uh, the North Korea auto warm beer. Most of you know the American college student spent 17 months in a North Korean detention uh, detention center, or you know he was he was uh, sentenced to. Well, I'll give you the whole whole details. He died Monday afternoon in his hometown of Cincinnati. Here's a recap of the events that led to this tragedy. If you're if you're not up to speed on it or don't know all the details, so Otto signed up for a trip to North Korea in spring of 2016 with some organization called Young Pioneer near tours uh travel group which which chat just amazes me that this thing even exists he's supposed to spend five days in north korea followed by a visit to beijing china and i and i wonder about the sanity of his parents that let a you know even if you're in college i know he's over 18 but i say you know your my kid wants to go to north korea i'm going to say hey have you had your brain examined as a group as as the group departed from pyongyang's airport auto was stopped by security According to the North Korean government, the reason that he was that he stole a political poster from a restricted floor in his hotel. And I think back to a scene from a movie called Midnight Express. Uh, some of you may not be old enough to remember that. Okay, so the next time the world saw saw him, he was distraught, breaking down in front of Korean journalists in a in a video North Korea released in February of last year. He was sentenced to 15 years of hard labor for his alleged crime. Remember, that was stole a political poster. In the end, he spent 17 months in North Korea. After he was briefed on the situation, President Trump directed Secretary of State Rex Tillerson to take appropriate measures to, to secure Otto's release. State Department Special Representative Joseph Yoon visited him with two doctors on June 12th, demanding Otto's release on humanitarian grounds when they saw his medical condition. 
He was evacuated the next day and reunited with his family in Cincinnati, uh, while comatose, although doctors stopped short of calling it that, and I would say, based on the videos, he looked like he was awake, but it wasn't, I don't even know what word is, is appropriate to say, but uh, let's hear what the doctor said. His vital signs were stable upon arrival and have remained so. He requires no supplemental oxygen or respiratory assistance. He has no signs of infection or dysfunction of the major non-neurological organs. His neurological condition can be best described as a state of unresponsive wakefulness. He has spontaneous eye opening and blinking. However, he shows no signs of understanding language, responding to verbal commands, or awareness of his surroundings. Unresponsive wakefulness. Uh, I don't even know. I don't even know what else to say to that. As we as we know, Otto died on June twentieth. Joey, what do you, what do you think happened to Otto Warren Beer in North Korea? Well, I mean, Lord help. I'm not a, I'm not a doctor, right? And um, they've given their version of what of botulism. Uh, I think that it was it's pretty obvious he's been mistreated. At what extent of his mistreatment caused that, or was it fluke? Was it something he a pre-existing condition? Was what was it? It seems like the doctors don't know yet. If there were anything that would that was pre-existing. It seems like the family would would have said that by now. So you have to believe that his mistreatment in North Korea is what led ultimately to his death. Uh, with that being said, really what this is. I mean, it's hard for me to watch the news right now on this because to take this young man's life and ultimately his death and turn that into a political contrast between Trump and Obama to me is cheap and and, and not the way we do things. Uh, it's the same as going after McCain's military service because you don't like his politics. There's certain lines you just don't cross, and someone's life and death for politics just isn't one of them any of us should want to cross. So what we can say definitively is regardless of administration, Otto Warmbier's treatment and death is, is, is the embodiment of our political failures in North Korea, either to deal with this sooner uh, or to deal with it right now. This, this isn't the kind of thing that should be acceptable, um, especially in, t- in today where <clears throat> we battle this every day. We battle what is our relationship with China truly? What is our relationship with Russia truly? Uh, it's time to call that to the carpet and find out. Uh, the opportunity to put pressure on North Korea is there. And um, and although China is buying our debt, we're buying their production. So we're equally dependent upon each other, and it's time to call them to the carpet and put North Korea uh, in a place where it just doesn't feel emboldened to do these kinds of things to innocent civilians that just happen to be American. Yeah, I, uh, when, I saw, when I saw this Monday, I just said, I was I was angry. I was angry, needless to say, because you know I think about how you know to me, to me, his when his parents made their made their comment, and I'm going to play that clip in a second. It's he. I just I told Don. I said this guy's in shock. He's he's in a he's in a alternate alternate state because I would be way more violently emotional about this if someone took my son uh, for whatever peddly little reason and turned him into a vegetable like that and you know i would want i would want revenge and uh, retaliation and i know that her, his dad maybe his dad is is getting a uh, 
maybe he's uh, got a good spiritual walk with the Lord and he's he's being a lot more calm about it. I don't I don't know that I could. Let me let's hear let's hear uh, uh, the father of uh, Otto Warm Beer make his comment. When Otto was first taken, we were advised by the past administration to take a low profile while they worked to obtain his release. We did so without result. Earlier this year, Cindy and I decided the time for strategic patience was over. And we made a few media appearances and traveled to Washington to meet with Ambassador Joe Yoon at the State Department. It is my understanding that Ambassador Yoon and his team at the direction of the president aggressively pursued resolution of the situation. They have our thanks for bringing Otto home. Um, just too calm for me. Too calm, too calm. You know, maybe maybe he had to psych up for that, but that was like the next day after after Otto got home. Um, and then I'll play a clip from uh, former Obama State Department Marie Harf on this subject, which, which for the life of me, I don't know why Fox News even lets this lady on TV because she's an idiot. But uh, let me play this clip. Look, I can assure you that we in the Obama State Department uh, worked very, very hard to try to get Otto home. And tragically, we weren't able to do so. But you've seen this week, you know, press reports about the secret channel we set up with the North Koreans over a year ago to try and work through these cases. We repeatedly raised it with the Chinese. And I'm not sure the Chinese did all they can or have done all they could to help get Otto home. And that's one of the big places we need to focus now. Secretary Kerry was very involved uh, in this case. And tragically, we weren't able to. Sounds sounds like uh, propaganda. And this is what we say to to make it to make it all better. And there's nothing that can make it better. So it's like, what do you say when you're at a funeral to the what do you say when you're at a funeral? There's nothing you can say. Joey? Well, I, I think, um, th- you know, one thing this reminds me of is, is kind of the Iran hostage situation. And, you know, those hostages were let loose or sent home essentially the day Reagan came into office. Now, you know, in the moment, that was a huge win for Reagan. Later years, we learned it was more of a thumb in the eye to Carter and his failures. So it's not to take anything away from President Reagan. I mean, he went on to be, uh, in my opinion, one of the true leaders uh, that our country has seen in that office is a, is a, just a leader. Uh, but with that being said, is this you know is this evidence of an Obama failure or a Trump victory? Are those two things mutually exclusive? Are they one and the same? We can spin our wheels about that, or we can or we can understand there are potentially you know a half a dozen more Americans in that country that need to come home. There's potentially nuclear weapons that are that are. Uh, um, just you know, days or months or years away from being formed in North Korea. I think the Obama administration policy was to cut a deal, and um, and even though President Trump is is the art of the deal guy, I don't think cutting the deal with North Korea is going to get anything done. I don't think cutting a deal with Iran got anything done. So what are those next steps? We can carry the same conversation into Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, ISIS, every threat that we face right now. Is there an opportunity to cut a deal? Is it posturing from our side that's hurting us or helping us? Um, there are a lot of parallels between uh, the Obama administration and what the Trump administration is doing now, and there are a lot of contrasts. But I think uh, for us, for you and me as civilians who aren't privy to any of the information as far as back channels and conversations, even what the parents do or don't know, I think for us from the outside looking in, we need to look at this a few ways, one of them being Americans don't need to go to North Korea and two, 
we need to have the human decency to not turn this into uh, the kind of political argument that is, well, Trump takes a victory lap because Otto came home. I don't think that that's, that's ethically right, and I don't want to see that any more than I want to see someone like Otto Warmbier die for no good reason. I don't think I don't think it's a. I don't look at it. I look at it, and I think for me, I don't see this as a, as any gigantic Trump victory. I look at it as, hey, Obama, in my in my opinion, didn't do anything. All Trump did was send somebody over and they just, all they did was say, Hey, you need to release this guy. And you know, had we just, you know what? It just seems to me, you got to show some, instead of just sitting there and what, uh, what, uh, Otto Warmbier's dad said called strategic silence. You know what? This has to be, show a, show a sense of urgency and say, Hey, this needs to get done. We need to get this kid over here there. He didn't do anything that tragic that you're going to, uh, uh, send him a 15 years, or we're gonna, or we're gonna start making tightening screws up on you guys. You want us to be nice to you? You need to let this kid go. He's a kid. He took down a poster allegedly and let it go. And instead of just, in in my eyes, in my eyes, from what from what I can see, well, and what I, it just well, seems like they just ignored it. One of the one of the can I pay close attention to this because it just piqued my curiosity when it happened, and one of the one of the I guess traditional or common schools of thought was that in years past, people have gotten these grandized sentences and within a few years were released back either into China and made their way back to the U.S. or, or somehow was propagandized into a, into a deal. And the school of thought, probably from the Obama administration, uh, definitely in the media, was that although he was sentenced to 15 years, they, he would more than likely be released within a few years. Now, I don't know that the Obama administration was banking on that, and if I were Otto Warmbier's family, I would not find any uh, resolution in that. And I can't say definitively that the Obama administration did nothing to get him back. I know they did nothing successfully to get him back. Um, I don't think that I can criticize the Obama administration for Otto Warmbier coming home eight months into Trump's administration rather than during Obama's, other than what's in front of us, and that's that he came home due to Trump sending people to North Korea to check on him. Now, is that because his condition turned severely for the worst and they thought it was better for him to die here than there? Then, then does it really matter who was in office at the time? Or did Trump take enough action that they quit sitting on it and, and finally sent him home regardless of his condition? We may not know that until the next person is released or not released. And once we can see a trend moving in the right direction, we can say, wow, the Trump administration is really doing things to make this happen. Sending Otto Warmbier home a few days before he dies, I just don't know that it's there for us to say the way the Trump administration is doing things is going to get more done. I think I would rather see the rest of the Americans get home in North Korea and not get a nuclear weapon before I could say definitively any of our presidents have been successful in dealing with these chaotic idiots over there on that peninsula. And and don't get and don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not saying that we did anything that uh, super successful, and I would only give. Hey, Trump just said, "Hey, take care of this." And Tillerson sent sent the guys, and you know, I I give it credit. I don't think Trump is the end all hero here, but at least he initiated. Hey, somebody take care of this. <clears throat> and I know that I know that sometimes that's as a as the president of of my company. Sometimes somebody calls me about something, and I say, "Hey, what's going on here?" And one of my managers take care of this now, and I don't take care of it. I just made sure that somebody took care of it. So let's go. Let's go on to something else that you know know a lot about. Uh, that I know you have lots of uh, opinions on the special election in the sixth district of Georgia that uh, everybody's talking about. 
Uh, you live. Uh, you live just. Cl- you grew up in this district in Georgia, right? Well, no. It's it. If you look at the district map from the district I live in now to where I grew up, is a th- is a stone's throw, and the sixth district is a sliver between it, it on I seventy five. So. It's much like most congressional districts, especially here in the South, where gerrymandering is especially bad. Um, they weave in and out of each other. So we always talk about North Georgia as a region. I grew up in North Georgia. This district is North Georgia. I'm on the other side of Atlanta now, which puts me about 20 miles outside of this district. But I'm very, very aware of the district. It's my home. It's my people. And uh, and something that I've paid a lot of attention to over the last six months. And you uh, had a strong consideration of running for that seat. Well, you know, we moved back here to Georgia last year for me to work for Zach Brown here in Peachtree City, which is just south of Atlanta. Uh, but we hadn't bought a home. We were looking for where we are going to put roots down. The district's about 45 minutes from here. It wouldn't have been out of the question to work in Peachtree City and live there. And it's on the other side of Atlanta, which would have put me closer to my hometown. Uh, so living in the district was already a consideration. And then the way things work with, with uh, committees and groups of people looking for talent in the Republican Party. I was asked and, and vetted uh, as a potential candidate in the uh, in the special election. But really what it came down to, and I won't go into all the details, is that Karen Handel was the heir apparent for that area. She's been Georgia Secretary of State. She's had failed uh, campaigns for, I believe, a gubernatorial and, and Senate campaigns. So she's kind of a staple in that area. And, um, you know, she wasn't born here in Georgia, but she's been here for a long time. And um, and so it was a race that you really had to bring uh, something like a John Ossoff into the equation to shake that up too much. Now, um, I met with Tom Price prior to the announcement of the special election, and what I knew was that it, anything that the state government could do to really uh, make it quick and easy for Karen Handel was probably what was going to happen. And, uh, and the Democrats saw an opportunity and seized it. It was completely unexpected. For some, for someone like John Ossoff to throw their name in the hat and put bring that much money to the table, he did and he failed. And uh, and for those for those of you that don't 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 follow it because it's in Georgia, and uh, let me just explain the details uh, where Karen Handel beat Democrat John Ossoff. Uh, so it should, and why it should matter no matter where you live. Ossoff admits he doesn't live in the sixth district and suspiciously got engaged to his girlfriend who does live there, right in the middle of the election. Brought in donations from around the country. Uh, this happens for congressional candidates sometimes, but rarely has it happened to this level. Um, in fact, 42 outside groups spending money to influence this election. Only five are based in Georgia. Uh, Ossoff even brought in support from Hollywood movie star Samuel L. Jackson, comedian Chelsea Handler, uh, George Takai from uh, Star Trek, actresses like Jane Fonda and Jessica Lange, Sam Watterson of Law & Order fame. All of them either donated money to Ossoff's campaign or gave endorsements. We all know Hollywood is in the tank for the Democrats, but it's pretty rare for them to give to congressional races outside of California or New York. Between both candidates, a total of $50 million, I think it was $55 million, was spent making most the most expensive House election in history. Now, the Democrats have been saying for weeks that they're going to win this seat, and it was going to be a huge referendum on Trump, and it all blew up in their faces. So, uh, Joey, you're on the ground in Georgia. Talk to me about what you, why you believe Karen Handel beat John Ossoff in the 6th District. Well, at first, let me let me address John Ossoff, because I think that's the most interesting thing. Karen Handel won because she has been around forever. She's got name recognition, and she has the grassroots network to tap day one of special elections. That's why Karen Handel won. Why did John Ossoff do so well, the goods and bads of this? 
election. First, let me clarify a few things. Samuel L. Jackson's actually from Atlanta, so they can't can't hit him there. And Georgia has the second largest entertainment uh, community next to Hollywood in the country. So how many of those Hollywood liberals uh, actually have houses in this area or work down here six months out of the year? I'd have to do some research, but probably quite a few. So there is a little bit of, of justification there. Also, Ossoff lives a few miles outside the district in a town that's actually in the district. So there's some continuity there, and in any other election, probably would not have been a huge talking point. But when Karen Handel looks at him and says, who are you going to vote for, much like Trump's kids who are registered as Democrats, that's a gotcha statement, right? It's hard to respond to that. It's hard to respond to vote for me even though I can't vote for me or vote for my dad even though I can't vote for my dad. So that's a part of politics. It's not unusual. I don't. I didn't find that criticism to be the best criticism of him, and I didn't understand it completely, but it's what people responded to. Hey, Joey, Joey, we're out of time for part one. I'm going to hold you hold you over. I want to finish this discussion. Uh, don't go away. We'll be right back after five minutes of uh, traffic, weather, and commercials with uh, part two of the main event. And welcome back to part two of the main event. My name's Ed Hoffman, president, Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender. Located in Southern California, licensed in Arizona and California. So if uh, if you need to get involved in any fantastic opportunities in real estate, you want to refi, purchase, or uh, do one of them reverse mortgage things, I don't talk a lot about it on the radio, but if you hear something, someone that, that thinks like you on the radio and you need to do any of those products, nine five or eight... 855-640-2020, 855-640-2020. Um, also remember, if you want to, uh, if you want to uh, make a comment about anything you hear on the radio show, our listener hotline, the main event listener hotline, 855-640-2092. So we've been talking, I've got my guest, uh, Johnny Joey Jones, retired uh, Staff Sergeant Marines. Uh, we're talking about what happened in Georgia this week where he lives. And we were just talking about John Ossoff and, uh, you know, maybe the, the fact that he's outside outside the 6th District is not that tragic of a thing because he's just a stone's throw out. And uh, maybe it's maybe it's uh, maybe the media, maybe some of the Republican media is making more of this than it needs to be. Um, but. They're pushing. They were pushing this uh, this election as as a re, as a referendum on Trump, and I think it I think it bit him in the butt. It blew up in their face when you know they well, put they put all this money into it and he still won. Yeah, I mean, uh, listen, Karen Handel won. What the the point I was trying to get to earlier was that this this wasn't a referendum on Trump because Trump wasn't a a deciding factor one way or the other. This is a this is a this is as an establishment Republican Party district as there's ever been, um, and that's just that's just kind of where we are with it. Uh, the people that live in the sixth district of Georgia, a lot of them are healthcare professionals, a lot of them are white collar Georgians that uh, enjoy the the perks of Atlanta but don't want to live inside of it. Um, and there is a, a strong Republican establishment presence there. Karen Handel won this election pretty handily when it was all said and done. But the reason why it made such news and the reason why so much money got brought into it was in the special election, John Off took up so much of the vote. The reason why, when you understand Georgia's special elections, is regardless of your party, when you run for office in a special election in the state of Georgia, it is a treated as a general election. So there is no primary. Any and everyone who wants to run for that seat throws their name in the hat, files the paperwork, gets on the ballot. They hold a special election. This one was only a few months after Tom Price vacated the seat purposefully. Um, And the idea is if any of those candidates gets 50 percent or more, 
they win it outright. If not, the top two go into um, go into uh, basically a runoff campaign, which was actually a longer campaign period almost, or just as long of a campaign period. So what happened here was this is a district that uh, that past Democrats have only spent a few thousand dollars running in. Um, it's a strong Republican district, but the Democratic vote doesn't turn out to vote. We have tens of thousands more Georgians vote in this special election than voted in the presidential election there. And so what we saw was that the Democrats that do live there or those that live there and would vote Democrats for the first time or, or it more abundantly showed up to vote. So I don't believe that the Democratic base grew in that district as much as they had a reason to vote for in years past they didn't. Karen Handel split the Republican vote with four other formidable candidates uh, during the special election. So there was no way to gauge what type of support she would have other than, uh, you know, polling going into this uh, runoff election. In other words, I feel like they both had a solid 45 percent of the base there. There wasn't anything in those tens of millions of dollars that changed that a whole lot. And at the end of the day, the district swung heavy Republican as it has in years past. So what you see there is that Karen Handel did not campaign with President Trump. She didn't need to. He's not a motivating factor in that district, but he's also not a discouraging factor in that and I district. Think, and I think that's I, what the Democrats you know. are trying to say, that, that people were fed up with, with his, with his uh, policies, which proved that they were not. No, not at all. I think, I think that what Republicans can really take away from this is that they're not losing ground due to all of the hot air surrounding Trump with tweets and Russia and things like that. And if they can get policy victories, they're going to keep these districts, just like the 6th District of Georgia, that wasn't pro-Trump, but they're not anti-Trump. Because as long as Trump can continue to do things like signing the VA Accountability Act today that makes sense and appeal to conservatives, all the other stuff just doesn't really matter. And quite honestly, it's not a motivating factor for Democrats either. Um, and I think that that's, that's the big takeaway. The big takeaway is Trump didn't stop Karen Handel from winning. And I don't think that's going to happen in many places in this country. And I, I mean, that, that like, was what the Democrats and, were. That was their narrative. That, that yeah. No, I don't mean to take up the whole conversation, but for example, in the general election, Darrell Issa won by getting 18 of every hundred voters um, uh, that voted for Hillary. So the the referendum on Trump has already come and gone. At the end of the day, Republicans believe in their conservative values and are going to vote for those people regardless of how they fall on Trump. You know, liking the guy at the head of your party is a different issue than buying into what is a party moving more left every day. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's uh, the world. The world works how it works, and it's not all sunshine and rainbows. And you got to be uh, approaching, approaching, approaching the world, approaching your life, approaching everything uh, with with your eyes open and have your head screwed on straight. Here's something that's kind of funny about uh, John Ossoff as he began his concession speech. It sounds like he's Channeling somebody here. See if you can put your finger on it. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, everybody. I love you too. Thank you very much, everybody. Okay. Sounded kind of. Sound a lot like Obama, didn't it? Yeah, sound a lot like Obama. And it sounded if you if we played more more of the clip, yeah, he's a. This is a congressional district. This wasn't this wasn't for a president, and it he he made it sound like it was bigger than it was. Um, but apparently, we didn't get that whole part of the uh, part of the uh, clip in there. Um, 
you know, and the and the part that I like better is listen to some congressional Democrats want to do something about, you know, about what's going on in their in their uh, in their leadership. Seth Seth Moulton of Massachusetts, our leadership owes us an explanation. Personally, I think it's time for new leadership in the party. Tim Ryan of Ohio, it's hard to convince people around how toxic our brand is. People see us as not being able to connect with the issues they care about. Our brand is worse than Trump. Ryan, who challenged Pelosi for the minority uh, minority leader championship after the election, minority leader position after the election, uh, said having Pelosi as the face of the party makes us a heck of a lot harder to win win house seats. Ouch. And uh, and here's the particularly particularly critical comment on Pelosi from Kathleen Rice of New York. Nancy Pelosi was a great speaker. She is a great leader, but her time has come and gone. Yes, she's a great fundraiser, but if the money that we are raising with her through her leadership is not helping us win elections, then we have to have this difficult conversation now. Yeah, it's, uh, I th- you know what? Nancy Pelosi is uh, like 77, and uh, I, she, I think her brain is starting to be cooked. Uh, I've always thought it. And uh, what do you think, Joey? Well, I'm not going to insult anyone, even if they deserve it, on whether or not their brain's good. I've seen some 80-year-olds really school me on things like counting upwards in segments of seven when I was getting my traumatic brain injury screen. So I, what I will tell you about Nancy Pelosi is that she is known far and away as a cutthroat politician. Uh, if you know much about her story, I believe her dad was the mayor of, I believe, Baltimore, Philadelphia, she is, uh, she is as old-school, mafia-style politician as you're ever going to get. It's probably why she worked well with Obama coming out of Chicago. It's the, it's the you know, almost Francis Underwood style of governing that keeps people in power. And, uh, and that's not to – I'm not throwing mud at her. That's just how they operate. And there are plenty of Republicans that have tended to operate that way, and things like the Tea Party movement and other things have really – squashed that on the Republican side in recent years. But, you know, she stood on a podium and complained about President Bush multiple times in the last few months because she can't remember that it's President Trump. That alone is something to be concerned about. On top of that, the failures are there. Um, You know, when you're the scapegoat that has the say, we have to pass it to know what's in it. And then that particular bill not only becomes what President Obama needs to hang his hat on and can't, but the, but ultimately the destruction factor in the healthcare system that they're debating today, there are no wins. There are there's no reputation to hang your hat on. Being able to raise money and keep power isn't the kind of win that we're looking for out of our elected elected representatives. So uh, I, I'm not big on Pelosi. I've got personal reasons. I worked for a man and. Uh, in D.C. That, that was an intern or a military fellow for her. He was treated very badly because of his own values. Um, and uh, and so it's just not someone I really enjoy and, or want to see there. I, I don't like Republicans openly cheerleading. Yes, keep her in power because it's good for us. Um, if you're going to cheerlead, cheerlead your accomplishments. Cheerlead what you're doing for the American people and hang your hat on that. The idea that we're now openly celebrating that politics is completely different than policy is disgusting to me, and and that's um, that's not something that's not something we should trend towards. It's something we should trend away from, and that was a big narrative as part of President Trump was to drain the swamp and not play that. So you can't drain the swamp and cheerlead for Pelosi to stay in office or in power. So, you know, I hope that we get away from cheerleading these things. I want to see her retire and move on, and I would love to have formidable Democratic congressmen and congresswomen 
who have ideas of their own that they can get behind and we can debate them and decide if there are any parts of them worthwhile or if ours are just better on merit. That's how government should work. Uh, and it's amazing as you talk about the Obamacare, you have to pass it so you can see what's in it, how now Chuck Schumer is, is warning against the Republicans trying to do that. Wait, isn't that what you guys did like nine years ago? Or uh, seven well, years ago? There's, there's a difference between the Senate and the House now. The Senate Democrats held hearings on Obamacare. The House did not. And uh, and if McConnell doesn't give this bill the opportunity to be debated, they're going to very justifiably be hung on the same hook. And you can't you can't preach against the Democrats because they don't like it. You, you have to ask the Republicans how they campaigned against it for six years and then are acting like it. So here's the deal, right? I'm Republican, you're Republican, we're conservative at heart. We have to be more critical at those that represent our values than those that don't. I don't care what Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer say. I care what Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan say because they're representing me and how I feel. And, um, and we live through Congress pushing something down our throats that they didn't understand. And we can't have that happen again. Well, I can't. I can't believe that. I can't believe that you victory. say you say the Senate had hearings on it. That bill is four thousand pages long. You can't tell me that the Senate took enough time to read it either. I guarantee that nobody read that thing. And I knew the. I know the new health care bill, which I don't know anything about yet. It's got introduced on Thursday. We're recording on Friday, so I really don't have a, an a opinion on it yet. Um, but I know it's one hundred forty-two pages long versus four thousand pages long and full of all kinds of pork and and little tax things that don't have anything to do with it um so it was a it was a a lawyer driven latticed uh, pile of pile of confusion that no one could have understood exactly without having studied it for a long time and nobody gave it enough time and i agree i agree they need to not push the the new one down anybody's throat and we need to consider i think they should just repeal and not replace but i don't get to make that decision so um yeah, it's people need to keep their heads screwed on straight, and and I'm not I'm not. Hey, let's pass this bill either. I'm not a, a blanket. Hey, just it, they, it's a Republican thing, so pass it. I'm completely. I can. I've been complete. Don't replace it. Just repeal it. Let the free market run this country because that's why we've. All, that's why we're great. But let's let's move let's move on because I know uh, I know you want to talk about and I want to talk. I want to hear your opinion on the new VA accountability. Uh, What's it called? The new they just signed it into into uh, office the VA Accountability and Whistleblower Protection Act that uh, was just passed this morning. Well, first of all, let me say I am ecstatic that we have an entire news cycle revolved around veterans and taking care of them. That hasn't happened in a while, and it's good to hear. I don't think I've heard Russia once today, and uh, and that was that was a refreshing thing in and of itself. Um, I applaud this act. It's long overdue. It's really embarrassing that it took this long and a change in administration to get it. Um, I hold that personally against President Obama and their their inaction to uh, fix anything at the Veterans Affairs. Um, and that is something that I that uh, that I applaud President Trump on doing is is to make that a principle of his campaign and to follow through with it, with a piece of legislation. With that being said, this is. The reason why this legislation has been passed first is the easiest to pass. It's the least. It's the least overall effective. If you read the bill, it takes six months to fire someone. Still, it takes 15 days, possibly 15 to 25 days, to fire an executive. But to fire anyone other than an executive, it's still 180 days. It still involves all the usual suspects, and really, they have to be purposefully negligent or malice in order to get fired. Still, 
So there's still a lot, a long way to go. It's a great, great title to a bill, and it does do some things, especially for those executives who are letting business as usual carry on. Um, but it, it falls short. It's okay. Congress generally does these days when it's split as bad as it does. But the thing we have to do is, is we have to applaud this victory and understand that it alone won't do much because we could fire every bad actor in the VA today, and we still don't have a method, means, and training to replace them with the right people, and that's even more important. Um, and during my time at the House Veterans Affairs Committee, I saw multiple hearings over multiple uh, congressional or legislative seasons on budgets passed and operations passed to retrain VA employees. And at what point do you quit trying to retrain employees and look at the overall system? I just spent a lot of my life in the last few months trying to get a few things done at the VA. And at the end of the day, the lack of communication, the lack of training, the lack of knowledge, and overall lack of culture is the problem. I'd like to see us get rid of the bad actors, but we have to put something in place that really mandates hiring the right people, hiring the right talent, and uh, and putting things on the right track. The bigger soundbite from President Trump's remarks today was talking about the transfer of medical records from DOD to VA and to streamline that. That's, in my opinion, an infinitely bigger victory for veterans. Uh, not as good of a soundbite because VA Accountability Act sounds great. And well, how, about, how about with I, I, saw, good. I saw him talk about something called the VA Choice Act, which was allowing uh, veterans, well, if, if they couldn't see someone at the VA, to allow them to use pri- private doctors. Yeah, we've, we, I think we've extended, perhaps indefinitely, but at least uh, to the next legislative season, the VA Choice Program. And so the, the general parameters there, and I'd have to read up to see if they changed it upon extension. But essentially what that means is if you're more than 50 miles away from a VA clinic or more than 30 days out from an appointment, you can have the VA pay for seeing a private doctor. And the good news stops there in most cases. There are some VA clinics that run flawlessly because there's someone somewhere that gives a crap about those veterans. But at the end of the day, even with that choice program, you're still reliant upon the VA to pay your doctor while you use them. And unless it's just a great human that you're seeing as a doctor who will provide your care for six months until the VA finally does pay up, there's still a lot of problems there. Most of those doctors haven't been paid. I've got friends that have prosthetics that are custom-fitted, ready to go for them, setting at some hangar prosthetics or some private clinic in, in flyover America, and the VA is refusing to pay for it because they're playing gotcha with bureaucracy. And those friends used to come stay with me when I lived in D.C. so they could go to Walter Reed and use DOD prosthetic care and do the process all over again and get a new set of legs because that was quicker than getting the VA to pay for their other legs for the tourist program. So there's there's no savior in the tourist program. I think what it does, it helps show the feasibility of seeing a private doctor. So if there's a bunch of these veterans using the tourist program or at least trying to, that gives us some ammunition to say there are a lot of things the VA does that really doesn't need to be doing. I would get rid of a lot of our primary care clinics and bump that over to primary care doctors in communities. I think that would be one of the first things I would do. Those clinics are some of the worst experiences in the VA. Um, for example, I went to set up my primary care here in Georgia at the Noonan VA clinic. The nurse walked me by an eyesight room where they have the letters on the on the on the wall and you read it and they do a, a sight test she walked me right by that room into the doctor's office she asked me 20 questions 
then she transferred me to the doctor. He asked me the same questions because he doesn't know the answers I gave her. Or apparently that system doesn't connect itself. Then he walked me into the waiting room with no instruction. I still needed to get blood work. I asked to get an eye exam. They came back to tell me I needed to go online, fill out an application, and then call someone from the waiting room to go to set up an appointment to get my eye exam in the eye exam room I just walked past. That's the type of negligence we have, and you can't fire someone over that. That's a policy change, and that's the type of, of micro changes that need to happen at the VA. The choice program could get rid of a lot of that. But some, but somebody, some, in order to get these policy changes, you have to make baby steps. You have to make first some steps of changing, changing some personnel to some people that give a crap, as you said. And you need to, the, the medical, I'll tell you that I spent uh, several days in the hospital when my wife had surgery in the last three surgeries in the last two years. And just watching how things go on at Loma Linda, which is much smaller system than it's a, it's a big hospital, but it's a smaller system than the VA and somebody smarter than me or you needs to have, have, I mean, I don't know that there's any one person that knows how to do this, but it needs to be a team of smart guys that, that, that care and, and have some specific training in how to run a, a, a system that complex. And I don't think, uh, I don't think given there, well, and I don't mean to cut you off, and, and I appreciate your concern for this. It's only that complex because there's layers and layers of redundancy. I'm not the smartest guy on the phone right now, but I tell you, I could fix a lot of things in a hurry. Um, and there's a lot of job security, quite honestly, in not fixing some of these things. And that, that's a big part of it. They, uh, Shulkin can't do everything himself, correct? Correct. The people under him need jobs to do. The people under them need jobs to do. We've got two or three people in charge of the same thing. None of those three people are going to expose that because each one of them relies on two other people to do their job for them. So it's a government employee problem. Our Pentagon is huge, and it doesn't need to be. It's a it's That's a big it's, it's a big DOD. It's, it's not just a government. <laughs> It's it's a yeah, apathy. It's not just a VA problem. It's an apathy problem. I've been here this many years. I have seniority. It has nothing to do with how well I do my job, how much I care, yeah. how smart I am. It all has to do with well, I've been here four years and you've been here three years, so I have seniority, yeah. and the, and I think it's, it's yeah, bull. You're exactly right. I think it's, all, and that's the biggest problem with people that are employed by the government. And the way that we treat that is is almost exactly the opposite of every Fortune 500 company or successful privately owned company. In the country, There's nothing in the VA or furthermore government GS system is performance-based. The GS system specifically, which is the largest employer of government employees, has a tenure system, which has been proven in every industry to be the wrong way of doing things. We call the GS system a second retirement, not a second career, a second retirement. Just about every major GS employee has an active duty counterpart in the DOD because the active duty guy or gal does the work and the GS person gets paid for it. That's almost exactly how that system works. And to let that feed into the VA and in healthcare system that is already upside down, that's part of the problem. So that's why I, that's why we need to I've privatize privatize more of this and put put <laughs> some people in there that care about where the money's being spent and let's be efficient 
not just put in our hours and get our paycheck. I ran into a guy at a Gary Sinise Foundation a fundraiser two weeks ago, and this guy's pushing uh, pushing a bill that's going to allow the VA to give away track chairs. So every VA that veteran that wants one, so it doesn't have to be the Independence Fund or the Gary Sinise Foundation or anybody giving away track chairs. All that they can just go through the VA and get it. And I said, you know what? I don't know that I support that because. Cut my taxes. I'll give more money so they can give away, so they can give these to veterans Absolutely. that need it. If you know, it costs sixteen thousand dollars for one of their chairs. If if we have the VA do it, it's going to cost one hundred and sixteen thousand, and it'll take and it'll take longer to get Absolutely. it to them. So you know, if what, I need something done in my life as a hundred percent combat disabled vet, the first place I look, well, I take that back. The first place I receive help, which is when I need it, is from an organization that does it. Um, for example. Home Depot Foundation had my house turned from non-accessible to accessible in a matter of weeks. It, I was selling that same home. I was in the process of putting it on the block to be sold after living there for two and a half years before the VA ever paid the grant for me to make my home accessible. It took me two and a half years to receive a grant I had been approved for seven years ago with the home in Texas that I had that, that you helped me out with. Um, it took two and a half years from start to finish to get that approved. It was the worst experience of my life as far as dealing with the government. Home Depot Foundation, without even bragging about it, made those modifications in a matter of weeks. Track chairs, anything like that. Um, and here's the other catch-22, and I hate to say it. How many veterans that don't need one are going to apply for one because they've been programmed that they ask for everything you can get? And that's not as veterans, but as just citizens in the United States. That's how we program our people now. And I agree. And, I agree. and as a guy who gives a lot to these yeah. veteran organizations, I don't feel like I'm shortchanging any vet. Hey, anyway, we're, we're out of time this week ago on, on like this for another three hours. And, and we will, we will have you back on, ha- have you back on in the next couple weeks there, Joey. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us for the main event. And thanks for all your insight. And, uh, let's continue this, this, uh, conversation on another show. Absolutely. I appreciate you, Joy, appreciate you too. Okay, take care. Hey, everyone, I'm out of time for this episode of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman, and I'll be back again with you next week. The content of this program is not intended to be legal advice. The views expressed are those of Ed Hoffman and his invited guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of Wholesale Capital Corporation. WCC is licensed by the California Bureau of Real Estate Broker License Number 01147747 and California Finance Lenders License Number 603K610. Also licensed in Arizona by the Arizona Department of Financial Institutions. MB Number 0961998.